Hey there. This is number 10 for Last Best Stories, a podcast featuring features only mostly unique to Montana. I'm Joel Banville, and I don't know if you've heard, but the bears around here, they woke up. And they're hungry. Probably. I mean, I don't plan to get close enough to find out. I was actually close enough to be a grizzly bear's dinner last summer. This was on the scenic point trail near Two Medicine and Glacier. A rock tumbled down the tree line, and when we looked up, yep, there he was. A big old humpback grizz, about two switchbacks above us. And he was looking at us too, my hubs, Lee and I, real curious. So we turned and walked sort of calmly away, and he went on chasing whatever critter he'd been trying to dig up. Until, that is, he ran, boom, smack into a tree, and then gave up that pursuit. That's when he decided we were a little more interesting than he thought. And man, those bears can move. Holy crap. He bounded down the mountain and got to the end of the switchback we were on. He didn't stand up on his back legs and act super aggressive. But I could see the fur on his half-moon bear ears, backlit by the sun, and I thought, hmm, that's pretty cute, and now we're dead. Lee let off the safety on his can of bear spray, and sometime after I nearly soiled myself, that very nice bear decided to leave us alone. This long setup, it's not nearly as good as this story by reporter and producer Charlie Ebers. Charlie's part of the seasonal trail crew at Glacier, and he's heard a few bear stories in his time. This one, though, this one is special. We're calling it Surviving Mom, for reasons that'll become pretty clear. Yeah, I mean, it hit me, and then then the bear is on top of me. I thought, this this is it, you know, this is, this is how it all ends. You know, maybe for him first, and maybe I'll be next, or maybe I'm just going to be out here with, with my dead buddy, you know. That's Micah Nelson. Before him, you hear John Bensel. And my name's Charlie Ebers. John and Micah are some guys I work with on the trail crew in Glacier National Park. We're kind of like the pyramid builders. We dig ditches, build rock walls, clear trees, make the trails accessible to the millions of people who visit this place every summer. I've been working this job for seven seasons, and in that time, I've heard some good stories. The good ones seem to stick around. There's one where a guy was stretching in his tent in the afternoon, and a bear walked in, and he had to push him out. There's another story where two trail guys died while trying to climb Rainbow Peak on the 4th of July. It can be dangerous out here at times. John and Micah's contribution to that story tradition happened in the summer of 2015, when they got between a mama grizzly and two little cubs. John's a mountain climber. He's short and strong. He's climbed nearly every named mountain in Glacier Park. And Micah? Well, Micah and his family have been in Glacier for a long while. His dad worked on the trail crew, and Micah spent over a decade in the park. He's built like an ox. He's funny. I'd say he's almost got a disarming sense of humor. He kind of just goes with it. I heard their story a day or two after the doctor cleared John to go back to work. We met up 12 miles back on the trail, when both he and Micah were headed in on a nine-day hitch. We sat down a few more times in Missoula the next fall. To be honest, it took us all a long time to fully piece together what amounts to a 10-second grizzly attack. Time slowed down, it sped up. It all started with plans for a pretty epic hike. Here's Micah. So we were planning to do the Livingston Range Traverse, it's called, from uh, Brown Pass, which is up the North Fork of the Flathead, and leave the trail there, head south along the Continental Divide, and come out around uh, Packers Roost area. They had a four to five day trip planned, 
and wanted to climb 10 mountains. But the weather turned nasty cold for a few days, and the mountains outside of my tent had snow one morning. That was the first day of their trip. This is John. And, um, you know, a pretty big chunk of off-trail in there, like maybe 25 or, or so miles, 30 miles. What to clothes were you guys wearing? Uh, I was wearing some shredded-up Carhartt shorts, <laughs> like my camp shorts, <laughs> and then uh, my little hiking shoes, mesh hiking shoes, and... Um, my cotton hoodie that I've worn every day of trails. I think I got it like the week before I started working trails. I've worn it every single day. So it's, you know, about as thin as two sheets of paper. And I had a rain jacket, which is nice. It's not really waterproof, but at least kept the wind down a little bit. I'm trying to go light with my day pack for a four or five day trip. <laughs> they set up camp about 20 miles from the trailhead after a rainy and cold day. They had hiked about 14 miles of trail around and past Bowman Lake up to a mountain pass, and then they left the trail, climbed their first mountain, and got pushed to an early camp by the weather. First thing the next day, they got up, and the weather was spotty. I think it was raining pretty hard at that point, rained, if I recall. Yeah. I don't think it really let up yeah. much that day. But they pushed in further because they were committed at this point. And also, anyone who knows Glacier knows the temperature and weather can go from snow to sun in a half hour, and a day and a half of bad weather could turn into a week's worth of good weather for no logical reason. They were getting close to Redhorn Peak, which has a reputation as the most remote mountaintop in Glacier, the farthest from any road or trail, and they were within reach. This is John. Pretty much could see our entire route. This was sort of more kind of open talus um, before it got into the trees and stuff. So We were looking at the, at the sky and the, you know, Clouds were 40 feet above the ground or something like that, and still howling wind and snowing. And we said, oh, screw it. Let's, uh, let's not climb this thing. You know, let's drop down here and, you know, hunker down these trees. We can at least get in our baby sacks and try to warm up a little bit. We were, we were getting pretty chilled. It's hard to give up on a climb. You'll never know when you'll be back to try again. It's usually the last thing you want to do. These guys, like a lot of guys out here, when they tell their story, they'll focus on the details kind of ground they're on, the weather, the direction they're looking. But what you really need to know is that they were wet and cold and were just looking for a place to get out of the weather. The first patch of trees that we walked into, um, we heard this noise, like, pop, 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 you know, and I was like, oh, that was a weird noise. What was that? And what I remember is immediately seeing these two little brown streaks, um, fly past our feet. I mean, they're tiny. I mean, the kind you want to, like, cuddle. But as soon as you think that, you're like, oh, where's mom at, you know? And you say, hey, bear, hey, bear. And, and mom stands up out of the bushes where these cubs had come from. And instantly, she just put it down and charged right at us. You know, a bear can cover ground like nobody's business, so 20 feet is, is gone pretty quickly. She got within, I don't know, a foot or two, you know, face to face, and I kind of fell uphill. I like to think that I was diving out of the way all gracefully, but I put John right in the line of fire. Um, and it happened very fast. I see him manage to spray his bear spray. We're facing the wind, I mean, direct headwind for us, and I see this red cloud just dissipate, blow up into the air and kind of back towards me, and the bear just kept running right through it. The bear's still coming right at me, and I, I didn't have time to, to get a shot off. Micah didn't remember spraying, but John remembers the red cloud vividly. 
and he is backing up and he trips and you know falls into these this patch of trees she blew past him maybe a foot dug in her front claws did a quick 180 and off of that 180 just boom was on top of just him. pouncing you know one wow. one bound but yeah it seemed really fast because i turned to see this bear coming back at me and winding up with its with its right paw like it's getting ready to to club me her paw basically it kind of resembled a catcher's mitt with with claws on it i mean they're those big eyes were i mean it was just it was so focused um but yeah i end up throwing up my left hand and kind of ducking my head and um it it hits me right across the you know my hand and wrist and and head i remember my my helmet rattling definitely saw her like tackle him it almost looked like she was pinning him to the ground and like gonna give him the typewriter or something you know just like <laughs> right over the top of him i haven't had that done to me in a long time not since probably third grade or something the neighbor kid oh. and i remember closing my eyes and just thinking i hope i hope this is quick that's all i could think and i was just trying to you know cover up my neck and and face and i had my backpack on you know and that protected my spine i guess too but um the bear was on me for a few seconds and um yeah just you know all the all the bear sounds you, you think of you know and when a bear's being aggressive and stuff i mean i was at its mercy there was there was nothing i was gonna do that was gonna deter it and he's just screaming like i'll never forget the look on his face sheer terror man like i've never seen anybody so scared so horrified and uh yeah, everything you learn about or you're told about what you're supposed to do in a situation like this, I don't know, for us anyway, seem to kind of go out the window. You're like supposed to play dead and, you know, spray the bear spray with the wind at your back. And when you've got a several hundred pound beast on top of you, you're just like, oh, I don't, I'm just going to scream and try to protect myself a little bit. But she might have been on me for three or four seconds. Um, yeah, and then she, she left and actually went back towards in the direction where Micah was. I got my uh, my bear spray out and ran towards them, sprayed right at, you know, thinking, well, you know, John's going to get some of this, but <laughs> sorry, man, got to do it, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I remember spraying, and, you know, it's still howling wind, so I watched the stream go about a foot out from the can and then poof. Up, up in the air, up into my nose. Didn't get it in my eyes somehow, which was really lucky. So you saw your buddy on the ground and you with a grizzly bear, an angry grizzly bear on top of him, and you ran to him. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> That's what I remember. That seems stupid, though. <laughs> I was probably curled up in a ball. Just, ah! <laughs> so she turned around and left, and um, I remember Micah walking over to me and putting his hands on my shoulders and looking me right in the eye. He's like, oh my God, dude, are you all right? And I'm just like... You know, it's pouring rain, so there's water running down the sleeve of his jacket and over his hand, which makes it look like blood is just pouring out of his out of his body like by the gallon. I think it still hadn't... I mean, we were just so blown away by what had just happened. And, you know, that whole deal maybe took 10, 10 seconds or so. Um, maybe a few seconds longer, but there were a lot, it was a long 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and then 
you know, we look upslope and here's this this bear again, maybe 50 or 60 feet above us looking down. She looked like she was going to steamroll us and we're bracing for it. And she got within maybe 20 feet and just hit the brakes, slid through the scree a little bit and then stood up on her back feet and it's kind of, you know, kind of growling, barking, whatever. I would have loved to see our faces, man, just terrified, scared, scared little children. And so she stood up a few seconds and kind of growled, barked at us a bit, and then uh, turned around and bolted back into the trees, and we never saw them again after that. You know, we're walking back, and uh, we just looked at each other and started cracking up. We're like, holy shit, man, that was fucking crazy. And we just stood there for a minute and, and just laughed. It was, it was insane. In Glacier Park, I'm Charlie Ebers. Charlie got his graduate degree at the University of Montana School of Journalism, where I teach. He recently finished an internship at Outside Magazine. Then he took off to Mexico to work at a food truck and, you know, suck the marrow out of life. And then he headed back north to Glacier again for the summer. So if you see him up the North Fork, say hi. Our short story for this episode has nothing to do with bears. At least, I'm pretty sure that's not how journeyman musician Bob Athern thinks of himself. He does have a lot to say, though, about love and women, and he talked to a former student of mine, Christian Grant, for this one called Love Advice for the Young. And on the keyboard, we have Love Muffin. My name is Bob Athern. I'm 78 years old. So you want me to summarize some advice for the young? Is that? Yeah, that's 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 what I'd like. <laughs> what do I? T- <laughs> uh, take good care of your teeth. Number two, you might want to consider uh, getting a union card in something that you can make a living at while you're pursuing the thing that you love. Look at me. I'm as helpless as a kitten. Bob started playing in the 60s. You'd kind of guess that. He's got a white beard, wears those rope bracelets. When we talked, he was wearing a red bandana around his head. He says cats when he talks about the guys he's played with. We'd play Chicago-style blues. We were all white cats, but that's what we did. He's got a lot to say about music. But here's the thing about Bob. Some of the greatest stuff he says is about love and sex and women. I've been married three times, had a number of, quote, serious adult relationships with women that were lasting, I mean, that were like more than, you know, a couple of days or something. Don't you notice how hopelessly I'm lost? I think that the idea that a relationship has necessarily to be permanent and last forever, like I love you forever, it feels really good when you feel moved to say it in the moment, in the situation, early on in that relationship when you're in the idyllic phase and everything is so exciting and you're so in love. But it turns out to be a little unrealistic. and. In, in, in modern times, especially if you're not raising a family. And uh, where was I going with that? 
a, a perfectly wonderful relationship can be temporary. Doesn't have to always be until death do us part. I am in, in many ways more interested in women as individual people with souls, if you will. Don't ask me to define that term. Uh, and our shared humanity and totally curious about them, not just their body parts, but their whole being. So to me, encounters with female people have always been primarily about the relationship and secondarily about sex. And as a kind of paradox, I think that's what leads to great sex. <laughs> because there's nothing better than doing it with somebody that you really love. <laughs> Here, talking to Bob Athern. I'm Christian Grant. You can find Christian bouncing around Montana still. He performs with Zootown Improv Group and is sometimes asked to expound on his belief that Donald Trump is still all that and possibly a little punk. Takes all kinds, folks. You've been listening to Last Best Stories. Our thanks this time to Distinctly Montana Magazine. A writer there is one of my five listeners and did a really nice feature about this project. You can find it at distinctlymontana.com and in racks and restaurants around our lovely state. Thanks, Joseph. And thanks to you guys, you know, for listening. I'm Jewel Banville. See you next time. Mm-hmm.